0: Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from the sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Amen. Good morning. My name is Rob Dalrymple. I'm the pastor here at Northminster. It's wonderful to see you all this morning. We're Continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to take a little bit of a shift this morning. Uh, we, we studied last week in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus turns to his own 12 and, and forms 12 disciples, 12 apostles, 12 leaders of his movement. And we're going to ask ourselves the question what does it mean to be a disciple this morning? What is a disciple? So we're going to take a little detour from the Gospel of Luke, look in the Gospel of Matthew briefly. But let me note this the Gospel itself, what we call the Gospel, is simply put, Jesus is Lord. If you, if, if, what's the, it's Jesus' is Lord. And in Paul's day, in the day of the New Testament, there were three lords available to you. We sang hallelujah earlier. Hallelujah comes from two Hebrew words. Hallel, which means to praise, and Yah, which is Hebrew for Yahweh. Yahweh is the Lord. One of the lords available in Paul's day was the Jewish version of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. Another lord in Paul's day would be Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And for Paul and the early Christians, the third option was Jesus is Lord. Now, Jesus is Lord, of course, means Caesar is not. Uh, The confession that Jesus is Lord is an intensely political confession. No one else is Lord. It's not Caesar or anything else you worship. It's Jesus. But we have to understand that Jesus is Lord and Yahweh is Lord are not mutually exclusive at all. The Yahweh, the, the, the Lord of the Old Testament, is in fact Jesus uh, in the New Testament. One of the things I think we see this uh, in the American church, especially, is uh, uh, we do a pretty good job on Sundays. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we we get together. You have dynamic preaching. <laughs> Thank you. I knew it was out there. Uh, you know, uh, we have wonderful worship. We have we have great fellowship and wonderful donuts. And you know, uh, we we do Sunday well. We do Sundays well, but I, I worry sometimes in the American church that we're creating professional Christians and immature disciples. We come on Sunday, and that's, that's it. That's our participation for the week. Uh, and the result is, I think, professional Christians and immature disciples. And So we're going to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? So, if you have your Bibles, turn on to Matthew chapter 28, page 706 in your pew Bibles. Uh, and let me just uh, make a quick announcement, and that is um, Ash Wednesday is the first day of Lent. And if you're not aware of what that means, Lent is the 40 days of fasting and preparation for Easter Sunday, basically. So it doesn't actually add up to 40 days. That's okay, because we don't count Sundays. There's 46 days and all that good stuff. But Ash Wednesday is a time of fasting and prayer of penitence and and repentance. Uh, And people, you can fast from all kinds of different things. You can fast from uh, one day a week. You can fast from your cell phone while you're in Houston, uh, you, you, can, um, you can fast from, from this or from that. You can give things up, or you can actually add something. You can say, hey, during the 40 days of Lent, I'm actually going to make sure I do a Bible study every day for, for 10 minutes a day, and maybe I'll give up a TV show that I might normally watch. Something like that nature. Uh, um, uh, that's kind of the idea of, of what Lent is all about. So, uh, Matthew chapter 28. Imagine a person getting a job, by the way, and thinking that they've arrived. You know, they've been looking for this job for a long time. And they finally conclude, you know, I got the job. I've got it all. I've I've got everything I need now. And they're really excited at first. And they they tell everybody about the new company that they're going to work for and how this job has saved them from the muck and mire that they were in. And their needs are all cared for now. And and, and they've got it all. But but they actually don't show up for work. Uh, They actually don't ever read the company manual or even the employee handbag. In fact, they actually don't even do the job. Um, but they're convinced that because they have a job they don't actually need to do anything. In some cases, by the way, people at this company are actually told that you're not actually supposed to do anything. Uh, you see, um, all you're supposed to do is, is maybe just show up for work a little bit but you don't, you don't actually work because you see the boss of the company wants Uh, People to know that they got the job because of his graciousness and goodness and not because of anything that they've actually done. Now, some show up to to this job out of a sense of obligation, but they don't really do anything either. I would say that if anyone had bothered to read the manual, they'd find out that they should have known better. The manual, of course, is the scripture. And this raises the question for us this morning, and that is, uh, does the Bible call us to make disciples or converts? And I've raised this question a few times recently for those who who have been with us. Uh, Does the Bible call us to make disciples or converts? Matthew chapter 28 says this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, verse 16, "uh, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven... And on earth has been given to me. therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. A message like this, by the way, is a little difficult, because what happens in, in the context of a church service and a, and a sermon is the fact that we have a very diverse group of people here. Some of you have never known Jesus, and and you're maybe exploring, and you're coming to figure out what all that means. And some of you have been in the church for a long time, and you're dynamic disciples of Christ. You've been following Him faithfully for 40, 50, 60 years. And some of you guys have been here for a little bit, off and on, and you're kind of going through the motions. And we're all listening to a sermon from our own context, our own perspective. And so I want to just kind of make you aware. All right, we're speaking to a larger audience this morning in terms of this larger Western Christian church, ultimately. Uh, and, and I know that you need to hear the message from whatever perspective that, that you're at. Uh, but the question of disciples or converts uh, is a, an important question. The word disciple actually occurs in the New Testament 269 times. The word Christian occurs three times. The difference would be this. A conversion... Is a momentary thing. Uh, you know, the idea of conversion is you change from this and you become that, or you you used to believe this and now you believe this. You used to do this and now you do that. That's the idea of conversion, and it happens in a moment, in an instance. Discipleship, I would argue, is a transformation. Uh, the transformation in Christian discipleship is a transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, discipleship is a process. Uh, it, 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 it's a journey that goes on throughout an entire lifetime. It doesn't just happen in a moment. It, 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 it continues throughout the rest of our lifetime. Uh, some of you may be in the process of discipleship and may not have actually been what we might call converted yet. You, you may be exploring Jesus and, and learning more and more what it's like to follow Jesus, but you're not sure that you're ready to do it fully yet. Some of you have maybe have just committed to Christ. and Maybe we might say have had a conversion. And that's fine if we want to use that language. Conversion, you might say, is the beginning of the discipleship process. Though I personally like to say that discipleship can begin even before conversion. A person kind of comes to find out about this Jesus and is evaluating things and is deciding whether he really is Lord or not. And then there's a moment where they say he's Lord. And then we continue on in that process uh, for a lifetime. In the year 2005, a Christian scholar named Christian Smith wrote a book in which he described... Uh, uh, contemporary Christianity. Uh, Christian Smith is a dynamic uh, uh, thinker. He's a sociologist and a wonderful thinker. And he described evangelical Christianity in the Western world by using three terms. Therapeutic, moralistic, deism. Now, we might want to define these terms a little bit, but therapeutic, moralistic, deism. And the idea is this. Deism is the belief that God exists, that he watched over life on earth, but that he's not involved. Deism says there's a God up there, and that God created this world, but he's no longer really involved. He's up there, and we're down here. And Christian Smith said a lot of Christians in the West have this deistic view of God, that God's up there, and sometimes, in fact, will shoot prayers up to him. And sometimes we actually think he actually might even come down and answer our prayers. But for the most part, he's up there, and we're down here. This deistic worldview. Uh, the second part is moralistic. Moralistic is the belief that God wants people to be good. So there's this God up there, and he's upstairs, and he made us down here. And he sometimes might get involved, but for the most part, he's up there. But he does want us to do good things down here. So you know, we best be on our, on our, on our best behavior. Right? And then therapeutic is the idea that God wants us to be happy. And so this idea of, of if you do good down here, it'll actually make, make, make your life better because God will be pleased with you and he won't come down and judge you or do bad things to you. And he might even answer your prayers when you shoot him up there to him once in a while because you're doing all these good things down there. And this characterizes, and I think pretty accurately so, much of Western Christi- Christianity. God's not really involved in my day-to-day life. He's not involved moment by moment in my life. He's just involved once in a all, like on Sunday when I go to church and worship him. And then maybe once in a while when I throw up some prayers, and, but I know I need to be good. And what happens, by the way, is the preacher gets up and preaches, you've got to be good. You've got to be good or you can't be bad. We preach legalism. Because we're really preaching moralism. Because we're, we're taking a, a church and we're like... And the, the pastors are going, well, I, I know they're not really having this dynamic Christian life and they're, they're doing these bad things. You, you, folks, you've got to be good. You've got to be good. You've got to be good. And I think this describes the state of the Christian church. So the way I would like to answer the question of discipleship versus conversion and approach the question is to simply step back and say, what is the mission of the church after all? And what are we supposed to be doing? If it's not like doing good and shooting up prayers to a distant dis God and, and, and hoping to be happy, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? And the way I would say it is this. The mission of the church is to make God known. That's the mission of the church. That's the mission of humanity. That's the mission of of what it means to be human. To be human means to be made in God's image, Genesis chapter 1. To be made in God's image means to make God known, to reflect His image and His glory to all of creation. And when we do so, I believe, by the way, that we fulfill what it means to be actually be human. And in doing so, we make God known. Now, let me support this, if you'll, let me indulge, if you'll indulge me for a moment, with the Scriptures. By, by going through the Scriptures here, in almost a little bit of a tedious manner, by saying... This is the purpose of God's people, if not all humanity, and that is to make God known. Let me start in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus chapter 6, God appears to Moses, and he tells Moses, he says, Then, Exodus 6 verse 7, Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Moses, when I do these things, you'll know me. You'll, You'll know that I am God. Then in chapter 8 of the book of Exodus, verse 10, Moses replied to Pharaoh by saying, It will be as you say, as you say so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Pharaoh is going to know who God is as well. Moses is going to know God. And then in chapter 8, Pharaoh is going to know who God is. Chapter 9 in the book of Exodus, verse 16. God says to Moses, But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show my, you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The nations will know God. By Mo, see, Moses' purpose is to make God known. And it, the first thing that's going to happen is, Moses, you're going to know God. Then Pharaoh's going to know God. Then the nations are going to know of God. Chapter 10, verse 2. Uh, to the Israelites, you may tell your children and your grandchildren how I, how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed many my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. God's doing these things, and if you don't know the story of Exodus, it's the story of the Israelites being in captivity in Egyptian slavery, and God's going to lead them out through Moses. And the result is Moses, you're going to know that I'm the Lord, and then Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, he's going to know that I'm the Lord, and then the nations are going to know, and then Israel's going to know that I am the Lord. You can see God seems to be obsessed that everyone knows who He is. Exodus 14, verse 4. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And I could go on, by the way. There's many more references in the book of Exodus to how the whole point of the story is how God desires to be made known. But the story continues. Uh, God leads the Israelites out of Egypt to a series of miracles, and then through a man named Joshua, a generation later, he's going to lead the Israelites into this land called Israel that he had promised to give to a man named Abraham. Joshua 4, verse 24 says this, that God did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. God's acts in the people of Israel's lives is so that they might know who God is. We skip to First Samuel. A couple books later on, there's a man named David. He's only a young boy at this point in time. Uh, but there's a man named Goliath. He's a giant. So you see, the way they fought wars is actually maybe even a little bit better idea. And that is, nation will fight against nation, but you bring your best guy out, we'll bring our best guy out. And the winner goes on and the loser becomes slaves. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a decent idea for warfare because the reality is only one person going to die right? Uh, see, the idea is this. If, if my country conquers your country, your country becomes my slaves. I don't want to kill all your people. I want your people alive so you can become slaves for me. So the, the, the Philistines bring out this Goliath. He's a giant. He's nine feet tall. And the Israelites bring out this little boy named David, who's got a slingshot and five stones. But look what David says in 1 Samuel 17, why he's about to do what he's going to do. Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. You defied my God. And because of this, the world's going to know that there's a God in Israel. First Kings, the next book, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 60 says, as Solomon's building the temple, he says, so all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. That's why I'm building a temple, so that everyone will know that there's a God. I can continue, and I will, thank you. 2 um, Kings chapter 19, God's going to deliver the Assyrian army. Second Kings 19, verse 19, deliver the Israelites from the Assyrian army. 2 Kings 19, verse 19. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Isaiah, in the same context, delivering from the Israelites, from the Assyrian army. Chapter 37, verse 20 says, Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the world, of the earth, may know that you, Lord, are the only God. And we go to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel describes the people of Israel coming back and returning from, from captivity as they've been taken off into foreign nations. And Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 23 says, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before your eyes. This theme of God being made known runs through the scriptures. Let me give you some more examples. I thought you wouldn't ask. Um, Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 7, 10, 13, and 14. You will know that I am the Lord. And they will know that I am the Lord. And they will know that I am the Lord. And then they will know that I am the Lord. Four times in the course of eight verses. I am the Lord. In fact, you don't have time to write all the references down the phrase that they will know that I am the Lord occurs 70 times in the book of Ezekiel. And if you know anything about numbers, 7 times 10, 70 is an important biblical number. 70 times in the book of Ezekiel, they will know that I am the Lord. We were called as God's people to make God known. To make God known. The point of following Jesus Christ is simply a point of making God known. Jesus did not call us to be converts because to be converts means you're done. You confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, you get forgiveness of your sins, and now you're done, you're good to go. The best thing you can do now is just be good people, be good people, be good people. And in doing so, you might live happy lives, live happy lives, live happy lives, and even shoot prayers up to that God up there once in a while and hope he answers them. That's a convert. But a disciple is a lifelong journey Following and imitating and knowing Jesus for the purpose of us knowing him, but us making him known. Now let me, let me, let me uh, add some thoughts here. Three keys uh, I, would argue, I would point out to, to the process of discipleship. First off, discipleship is a learner, a student, or an apprentice. A learner, a student, or an apprentice. That's what a disciple is. A learner, a student, and an apprentice. I believe last week I mentioned that, uh, you know, in the Jewish world, a a disciple is someone who follows a rabbi, right? And if you go to modern day Israel, you'll see these disciples and they wear the exact same clothes as the rabbi, same hats, same jackets, same shoes, same pants, and and, and everyone wears differently according to the sect of Judaism that that they're in, because whatever their rabbi wears, that's what they wear. And some will actually walk the way their rabbi walks and talk the way their rabbi talks. Now that's going a little bit too far, but you get the idea. A rabbi is a learner, a student, an apprentice. Someone who, I'm sorry, a disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice. Someone who follows their rabbi. For us, our rabbi is Jesus. Now, number two. Disciples of Jesus are people who do not just profess certain views as their own, but apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of God to every aspect of their life. And the fill in the blank is every aspect of their life. Disciples are not just people who profess certain views, but apply their growing understanding in the life of the kingdom of God to every aspect of their life. Discipleship is not something you you tack on to living in this world. Discipleship means to live in this world as a disciple of Jesus. And everything I do is filtered through the lens of What would Jesus do and how would he have me do this in this moment? Number three, through discipleship, obedience will take care of itself. Through discipleship, obedience will take care of itself. Now, now mind you, it's true to some extent that if you live good lives, you'll somewhat be happy people and and have a better life. And there's, there's a truth there. But we're missing something radically significant when that's what we preach, The way to be healthy is by being good people. Because you see, you don't need Jesus for that. You can just be good people and be be happy for doing so. But if you start adding in the Jesus element, by the way, you might notice something. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted. And blessed are those who mourn. He did say, I'll give you peace. But the peace Jesus gives is in the midst of suffering oftentimes. He never promised you a happy life. He promised you peace, contentment, meaning, value, and purpose, and suffering. And then there's a resurrection, where there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. You see, and the reason why is because to profess that Jesus is Lord is actually dangerous words. Because Caesar is Lord is what Rome's all about. To say, Jesus is Lord, and you're not, doesn't go over well in Las Vegas. But it doesn't go over well in Bakersfield either. Because the world has their own Lord, so there's all of a sudden this proclamation of the gospel that Jesus is Lord. So the question then becomes this, how do we accomplish this mission? And the mission is to make God known. And I would simply say it this way, by imitating Jesus by imitating Jesus, by, by reflecting Him to the nations, we make God known. Now, there's going to be a lot uh, to unpack here, but let me reference Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, which I think are crucial here. Colossians 1, verses 27 and 28. Paul says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And here's the key statement. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing, and the word admonish means to warn or advise, encourage, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. There's the goal of the Christian life. It's not simply about conversion. It's about re- reflecting and imitating Jesus so that at the end of the day, we all may be mature and complete, the Greek actually says telos, which is the word for perfect, the end goal in Christ. Now, some might ask, by the way, well, if the goal is to make God known, then why is it that we have to imitate Jesus? And very briefly, let me simply point out Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The answer is because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 says the sun is the image of the invisible God. Jesus came to us to make himself known and in doing so made God known. And if you read the Gospel of John, that's the key theme in the Gospel of John. Jesus is God made known. Therefore, by imitating Jesus, we are therefore making God known. We are reflecting his glory. And I would actually say being truly human. All right, how do we apply this to our lives today? Well, let me point out a couple things. Number one, discipleship is a journey. Discipleship is a journey. And now, by the way, discipleship is the messy part. Discipleship is the hard work. Uh, uh, if, if it were simple to make converts and fill our churches, we could do that, right? There's a lot of ways to do that and bring a show into town and, and attract a large crowd and, and, and we, you know, money would come, we could sustain the building, and we'd be fine. But we wouldn't be following Jesus, We'd be attracting a crowd. The work of discipleship is a difficult work. It, 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 it means relationship building. It means, it, it means helping people on their journey and helping them as we stumble on our journey, because we're all stumbling. And we fall and we get up and then we, we, we shrug off the dirt and we get back up and we, and we keep on this journey. And it's messy and it's difficult and it's, and, and, and it's a struggle. But discipleship is a journey. Second Corinthians, Paul says, chapter 12, verse 9, Paul says, that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Ah, as I'm struggling in this journey, Paul says, I prayed to God, help me. And he says, no, I'll tell you what, I'll help you, but my, I'm not going to take away what you want me to take away, but my grace will be sufficient for you. And let me give you some thoughts. Number one, none of us are doing it perfectly. Uh, and if you think you are, come forward for prayer at the end of the day. None of us are doing it perfectly. There, there, there's, there's, no, there, there's no such thing as the perfect disciple of Jesus. We're all going to mess up. And when you come to church, it's going to be really easy to find things that we did wrong. Because we're not doing it perfectly. And, 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 and it's okay to, to let us know about those things because we need to be reminded. Hey, Rob, you messed up here. Hey, you know, you're struggling here, huh? because that's part of being a disciple. We're not doing it perfectly. Number two, we cannot make disciples unless we are disciples ourselves. We cannot make disciples unless we are disciples ourselves. In fact, I would actually say it this way. First off, my responsibility is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and then in doing so to make disciples of Jesus Christ myself. But here's the reality. I can follow Jesus, but he's not around any longer. And that kind of sounds almost blasphemous a little bit, but if you think about it, Jesus isn't, he, he's not, he, he had his twelve, then he died, and he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. All we have actually is one another. So the Apostle Paul says in chapter 11 of 1 first, first Corinthians 11, he says, imitate me. He didn't say imitate Jesus, he said imitate me. So I need to be a disciple of Jesus so that you can be disciples of Jesus by imitating me, and then you need to be Jesus for somebody else and leading them on this journey. We all need to be involved in this process of discipleship. If you've been in the church at all, you need to have people that are speaking into your lives and discipling and mentoring you, and you need to begin to lead others as well into what it looks like to meet, know, understand, and reflect Jesus uh, in his gloriousness. Number three, we must allow people to make the journey with us even if that means they haven't come to know Jesus yet. You see, because I don't think the process necessarily starts with conversion. I think sometimes people are like, well, I'm interested. Let me find out more. You know, that guy's kind of a cool guy. I don't mind hanging out with him a little bit and and, and there's something different about that person and there's something really different about that person. Oh, that person's a Christian. Oh, I'm interested in that. And, And they're on this journey and we need to let them be on the journey with us. Even if that means that they haven't actually come to know Jesus yet, they're journeying to Jesus in and through our lives. Number four, we're not all going to be at the same place in the journey towards Jesus. We're not all at the same place. simple. a simple reality, right? Some of you may not have come to know Jesus yet. Some of you may be exploring. Some of you may have just come to know him. Some of you may have been doing it for 20, 30, 40, 50, 50 years. We're at a different place in the journey, and that's okay. Right? I've said before the greatest asset that this church has, that the congregation has, is our maturity, our experience, our wisdom. And if we take that wisdom and then begin to, to, to place it upon those who are new in the faith, they're younger in the faith, they're exploring in the faith, what a great asset we have to help people along in this journey. Towards We're simply not all at the same place. Now, how do we go about doing it? Well, how do we go about being a disciple of Jesus? The answer is we must train. We must train. It takes training. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll bring it up on the screen, verse 24. Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, Excuse me. <clears throat> I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified from the prize. See, Jesus proclaims the gospel in the in the gospel of Luke, and the Pharisees and religious leaders begin to reject his gospel, as we've seen in the last number of weeks, because the gospel that Jesus was preaching was not what they wanted to hear. It wasn't what they liked. They, they wanted a Messiah who would be a political ruler who would overthrow Rome and set, the, that was their problem. They didn't recognize that the problem was sin and their enemy was the devil. Jesus comes along and says, look, here, I, I'm here, but I'm here actually for the nations because that's kind of what you were supposed to do also. You were supposed to make me known to the nations and you haven't done a very good job of that. They reject Jesus and then he turns and he chooses his own 12. He says, come follow me. Being with Jesus, following Jesus, being an apprentice, a disciple, someone who learns to, to talk and speak and act and behave and think and do like Jesus did is what it means to be a disciple. But that doesn't come easy. It takes training. And as we read through the Gospel of Luke or Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, what we see is the disciples falling down a lot. They don't get it. They don't understand. They make mistakes after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. But then something critical happens. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you would conclude these disciples are pretty dumb people. They don't really seem to get a whole lot. They're somewhat incompetent. They certainly a lacking understanding. And then the book of Acts comes. And the book of Acts comes, and they're doing more than Jesus did. Because Peter preaches one sermon, and 3,000 people are saved. And Jesus fed 5,000, but we don't know that he ever saved 3,000. Jesus raised people from the dead, and so does Peter, and so does Paul. A man at the temple gate who was there for 40 years, which I think means Jesus walked by this guy and never healed him. And Peter heals him. What happened? Something incredible happens in the disciple's life, and I think the answer would be this Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, in the book of Acts, they got the Spirit. The story of the Gospels is Jesus comes and chooses his disciples, and he he gathers a crowd around with him, and then he tells them in the Gospel of John, look, I'm checking out, I'm leaving. Now, we know, of course, he's going to die and rise again and bring about the new creation and all that good stuff, but I'm leaving, he says, and it's for your good that I go. And you think, well, how could it be, like, it's kind of handy having Jesus around because when there's a multitude of people and we only have like two fish and five loaves of bread it's handy having Jesus around when your mother-in-law gets sick it's handy having Jesus around assuming you like your mother-in-law but (laughs) just kidding here we all love our mother-in-laws but you know when something's going on and a little girl dies it's handy having Jesus around when you just want to hear a good story it's handy having Jesus around but it's for your good that I go what are you talking about? Because when I go, I'll send you my spirit, and he'll be with you always. In fact, my Father will come to you and make his dwelling within you. And now we live by the Spirit of God, not only fulfilling what it means to be human, therefore bearing God's image, but this race that we run, we're not running it on our own strength. We're running it because we're empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Now, as we proceed, we'll begin to talk more and more. What does it mean to be a disciple? And, and how do I train? And, and how do I grow as a disciple? And here's what I would add, and that's this Sunday morning is a good start. Saturday night is a good start. By the way, we had a wonderful service last night with the Grove. And we had several new people coming, and it's wonderful that we're, we're just getting that movement going and, and reaching out to people. And it's, it's, it's a good start. But it's not enough. Uh, we're silly if we think that I can become an apprentice of Jesus by spending an hour with God's people on Sunday morning, an hour and 15 minutes, or if this sermon goes any longer, it might be like an hour and a half pretty soon. <laughs> we're silly if we think that, that that's discipleship. So some of you might wonder, you know, why do we do the announcements? I, I, I've worked at churches, it's a good time to silence your cell phone. huh. Um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, why do we do announcements? I, I, I've worked at a number of churches, and I, and I promise you that what happens is, especially at large churches, what happens is, the women's ministry leader wants an announcement for a women's event. Um, and the recovery ministry leader wants an announcement for the recovery event. And the, the discipleship leader wants a, an announcement for the discipleship event. And, the, you know, and, 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 and then the men's leader, and then the women. And, and, and then the worship director like, look, you're, like, you're ruining our worship. Because the, the worship director is like, you know, we're worshiping and we're praying and we're singing and then we stop and someone st- talks to us and tells us a bunch of things. And the preacher, they're only concerned about the sermon, so they don't care about the announcements either. Just, as long as they're there and they listen to me, that we're all good. And, and there's this battle among staffs of larger churches about the announcements. Uh, there's this interruption to the, service, to the flow of service. Folks, I love the announcements because the announcements remind us that you can't be a disciple just by sitting here for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. You need to be involved in a Bible study group. You need to be involved in a, a, an outreach. You need to be involved in a Nash Wednesday service. You need to be involved in small groups. You need to be involved in, 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 in stitching time and, and knitting things. You need to be involved. To, being a disciple of Jesus is 24-7 and it takes great training. And, and you can't be a disciple unless you're sitting under good teachers and good leaders who are discipling you so that you can then go disciple others. I love the announcements. I think they're vital. I think they're crucial because it reminds us that Sunday morning is not enough to be a valid, dynamic disciple of Jesus. Now, of course, we would add... Being a disciple of Jesus means spending time in prayer and listening to God and speaking to God, studying the Word and reading the Word, and, but I don't understand the Word, then good. Then get, come to a class or a Bible study group or whatever else it might be. And might even be learning what fasting is all about and giving and serving and being present for your neighbors and your coworkers. And then you know what Jesus is like because this gospel we have is really, truly good news. Let me close with prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That you didn't let this world go to to pot. You saved it. You redeemed it. You preserved it. To make yourself known. Because you are a glorious, holy God. And the world is best when you're made known. And not only did you redeem it and preserve it, but you called us to be truly human to fulfill that purpose of making you known. And so we ask, Lord, that you'll help us because we struggle. We struggle with the flesh that we are still a part of and that that tempts us otherwise, the the flesh that desires security and peace. And you told us to leave that behind and you'd give us a different kind of peace and different kind of security. We have the flesh, though, that lusts after many things and pleasures. And you told us to leave that behind, too. And so we struggle. And then we live busy lives. Maybe the greatest idolatry we have here in the West is our busyness. Because we allow ourselves to be distracted. From the purpose of making you known. And then we we struggle with our own insecurities. I'm not good enough to make you known. People aren't going to like the God they see in me. And so we kind of give up and we use that as a crutch. And instead of just giving up and letting you take over. And we just ask, Lord, that you'd help us. Help us to make disciples. Help us to get involved in small groups and Bible studies. Help us to get involved in serving events. Help us to get involved in serving this church and serving the kids and the youth. Help us to get involved in being an outreach to our community. Help us to get involved in my neighbor's house just having dinner with them. And I don't have to tell them anything. I just need to show them. And eventually they'll ask and then you're going to give me the words to say. Or I'm going to have to go home and work and find out what those words are. But help us, Lord, to do that. Help us as we study the Gospel of Luke to be challenged by the words and the teachings of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and thereby fulfill our purpose as men and women made in your image. We thank you for all that you've given to us, Lord, and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.